Welcome to Looking for Lincoln Stories, a podcast about people, events, and places of Abraham Lincoln's life and times. These narratives of real-life events paint a picture of the vibrant history of the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. This episode is entitled, Suing for Freedom, the Story of Lydia Titus. Lydia was an enslaved woman who fought for her freedom in the Illinois and Missouri court systems. She gained freedom only to be kidnapped back into slavery, not once, but twice. Learn about this incredible woman and her efforts to win and keep her freedom for herself and her children. This episode is narrated by Patricia James Davis. My name is Lydia Titus. I don't expect you've heard of me. I lived and died long before you were even a gleam in your grandma and grandpa's eyes. I wasn't famous. I didn't do things that you normally find in those history books you read in school. I was just a woman of color who wanted to be free and to stay free once I got free. And let me tell you, that wasn't easy back in the early 1800s in Illinois. Let me ask you a question. How many of you listening today have had to sue for your freedom? Better yet, how many of you have been kidnapped, not just once, but twice, and falsely imprisoned by people who couldn't stand the fact that you were free. I'll bet there ain't anybody out there right now that can say that any of that kind of stuff has happened to them. Well, it happened to me. And if you'll oblige me, I'll tell you about it right now. just 24 years old and in bondage of slavery when I was brought into the Illinois Territory on December 22, 1807. I had my one-year-old daughter, Vena, with me. The man who owned me was named Elijah Mitchell. He was taking his family and us to settle across the Mississippi River in what would soon be the state of Missouri. But he couldn't cross the river right away because a bunch of us got sick and there was ice on the river that made the crossing dangerous. We ended up waiting almost a year before crossing that river. And that long wait is what eventually made my bid for freedom possible. You see, that part of the continent was called the Northwest Territory. It would soon be divided up into Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, and other Midwestern states that you have today. 
The Northwest Territory didn't allow slavery, but the folks that made the laws got kind of clever and figured out a way to let slaveholders keep us in servitude as they moved into the area. The law said that Mr. Mitchell and folks like him who owned slaves had 30 days after their arrival in the territory to appear in court. They had to bring us slaves to court with them. We all had to agree in court that us slaves would voluntarily become indentured servants. That made it sound like we had a choice whether or not we wanted to stay in bondage. But here's the thing. If we didn't agree to such a contract, the slave owner had 60 days to take us back to where we came from. And slave states was where we came from. So that wasn't good either. Now here's the part where it gets interesting. I surely didn't want to stay in slavery. And I surely didn't want to sign up for something that was slavery in everything but name. So I refused to become an indentured servant. But 60 days passed and nothing happened. Mr. Mitchell didn't take me back where we came from, and nobody seemed to mind that we folks were still around, even though the law said we had to leave. We all finally crossed into Missouri in 1809, where Mr. Mitchell up and died. His widow, Mrs. Jensey Mitchell, then moved back to Illinois with all of us. That's when I saw my chance. Some abolitionists helped me get a smart lawyer, and I was able to sue for my freedom in the court at Cahokia in St. Clair County. My lawyer said that I should be free because I didn't agree to become an indentured servant the first time I was brought into the territory. He also argued that the time had expired to take me back to the slave state we came from. Well, old Mrs. Mitchell fought tooth and nail to keep me in bondage. She filed for a change of venue to nearby Randolph County because she thought the courts there would be more sympathetic to slaveholders like herself. She didn't get the change of venue. Finally, a year later, in September of 1810, a St. Clair County jury ruled in my favor and said I was free. They even awarded me a judgment of 25 cents for my trouble. <laughs> really? A quarter? 25 cents ain't a lot now, and it wasn't a lot back then either. But it's the thought that counts. I guess. Things looked up for me for a while. I got married to Nathan Titus, who was also a former slave and we bought some land for a farm in St. Clair County. 
We farmed and he made shoes on the side. But the government kept making it harder and harder for folks of color like us to make any headway in life. They passed a law saying that no free black people like us could immigrate into the territory. They also said that those of us who were already living there had to prove our freedom and get registered. My husband, Nathan, and I were the first ones to step up and register. And we signed up my daughter too. Nathan and I had several children of our own before he died in 1821. By then, Illinois had officially become a state. A free state. Free? Huh. I'm about to tell you how free it was for folks like me. of my late husband's estate, including our farm and all of his shoemaking tools. My children and I kept working on the farm, but then this tavern keeper in Cahokia filed suit against me. This guy claimed that I had agreed to buy his blind horse, but I never paid him for it. Really? A blind horse? Why would I want one of those? But it was his word against mine. And since he was a white man and I was a black woman, guess whose word they believed? I lost the case. I was angry. So I rounded up my own witnesses who actually told the truth about the situation. And I won the case on appeal. A jury ruled in my favor and said I should be able to recover the money I had to spend defending myself. But I had to be very careful. The man who I beat in court was a notorious kidnapper of free blacks who lived in St. Clair County. He'd take folks from Illinois across the Mississippi River into Missouri, where they'd be put into slavery. And the new free state of Illinois didn't do much to stop evil men like him. Heck, they didn't even pass laws against kidnapping blacks until 1825. Keeping myself and my family free from kidnappers turned into a lifelong struggle. Just three months after I won my civil case about the blind horse, I was kidnapped by three men. One of those men was Elijah Mitchell. Does that name sound familiar? It should. He was the son of the man who brought me as a slave into Illinois in the first place. I had to file a lawsuit against my kidnappers to prove I was free. Think about that. I was taken and held against my will, and I had to prove 
that what those men were doing to me was wrong. Well, that's how things were in that so-called free state of Illinois. Anyway, thank the good Lord that the court ruled in my favor and set me free again. Well, old Elijah Mitchell up and kidnapped me again. And this time, he took my children too. Mr. Mitchell also hired a fancy lawyer because he didn't want to be defeated in court this time. And wouldn't you know, the lawyer he hired, Alexander Pope Field, was an old friend of a young man named Abraham Lincoln? You may have heard of him. That lawyer, Mr. Field, was also hired later in life to represent Dred Scott when Mr. Scott sued for his freedom. So Mr. Field played both sides of the field, if you know what I mean. But I guess the almighty dollar speaks more loudly in the ears of some men than any notion of right or wrong. Our kidnappers took us to St. Louis, where they hoped to get a more sympathetic hearing from the courts in that slave state. And once again, I had to sue for freedom for myself and now for my own children, too. It took a year before the court made its decision. But during that time, my children and I were put on the auction block and sold to the highest bidder to help pay for our room and board in the county jail. We were kidnapped, thrown into jail, and forced into slavery while the wheels of justice slowly turned. Think about that for a minute. I was free, kidnapped, set free, kidnapped again, and they sold me into slavery while I was waiting to prove that I should be set free. It just makes your head spin, doesn't it? I couldn't afford my own lawyer, so the state of Missouri appointed some men to represent my children and me. you never believe who they chose to be the lead attorney. It was Henry Geyer, who later in life worked alongside Alexander Field to represent Dred Scott. The two lawyers arguing for and against my freedom would join forces later in life to help Dred Scott sue for his freedom. Ain't history a strange thing? Anyway, back to my story. It took a year, but I won my freedom again. But even though by that time there was a law in place against kidnapping, the men who kidnapped me were never charged. This time, the court didn't award me 25 cents. They awarded me $250. Back in 1833, when the verdict was given, that was a lot of money. But I never saw a penny of it.
One of the attorneys representing my children in our bid for freedom, Gustavus Byrd, claimed that I owed him $125 for his services. I didn't have the money to pay him, so he had me arrested, and I was thrown in the same jail I just got out of. Yep, in jail again. It didn't last long, though, because the authorities figured out that I didn't have any money. They released me, and me and my kids hightailed it back to Illinois just as quick as we could. Gustavus Byrd didn't give up. He followed us back to Illinois and filed suit against me there for the $125 he claimed I owed him. He won his case in the Illinois courts. Well, I simply didn't have the money. I hadn't been able to work my farm for more than a year because I had been in jail and forced servitude in Missouri. So the sheriff of St. Clair County auctioned my farm to pay off the debt. And guess who bought it? Gustavus Byrd. He paid just $10. They tried to take my freedom. They tried to take my children. They tried to take my money. And now they were trying to take my land. If there's one thing I won't do, it's give up. I wasn't going to lose my land. I had three years to pay the $125 debt plus interest that the court said I owed Gustavus Byrd. If I could do that, I would get to keep my farm. I finally agreed to sell six acres of the 160-acre farm to pay off the debt. My children and I lived out our lives on the remaining 154 acres of our St. Clair County farm. Thankfully, we were never kidnapped again and never had to sue for our freedom again. We were all buried alongside my husband Nathan on that farm. And that's where we are today, in unmarked graves. The folks who write history say that my story provides the earliest record in Illinois of an enslaved person who gained freedom through the court system. I'd rather be remembered as a simple, honest woman who wouldn't back down when it came to freedom for herself and her children. And if other folks got inspired by what I did and were able to be free because of it, well then, that makes me happy.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Looking for Lincoln Stories, brought to you by Looking for Lincoln and the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. This episode was written by David Blanchett, directed by Heather Fieser, and edited by Stephen Varble. Narration was provided by Patricia James Davis. Looking for Lincoln Stories highlights people, events, and places from Abraham Lincoln's life and times. These real-life narratives paint a picture of the vibrant history of the Abraham Lincoln National Heritage Area. To learn more about the area, visit lookingforlincoln.org.